Coming up on the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast, we review the AFL London Women's League Grand Final. There's our wrap of state leagues around Australia. Plus, a former AFLW footballer announces her retirement at the age of only 19. That's all coming up over the next hour. I'm Peter Holden and welcome to the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast. This podcast airs originally as a radio program Wednesday evening 6pm on RSN Carnival, that's digital radio in Melbourne, and then is available the next day as a podcast via Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud. A friendly note that our VFL Women's Match of the Day this weekend will be on Sunday from 12 noon as we bring you the Casey Demons versus the Geelong Cats at Casey Fields in Cranbourne. The AFL London Women's League Grand Final for 2018 was held over the weekend between the North London Lions and the Wandsworth Demons. And it was the minor premiers, the Demons, that came out on top in the end. And joining us on the line is England Vixens coach and the premiership coach of the Wandsworth Demons in Mitch Scully. Mitch, how are you? Uh, top of the world, Pete. Yeah, back-to-back flags for the, for the Sheedies. So, yeah, we're absolutely stoked about that. Yes, victors in the end, 5-3-33, defeating the North London Lions, 1-5-11. And despite it showing 22 points, the difference on the scoreboard, early on, it was a tight tussle. Yeah, it was a really tight tussle. Um, I think it was two points to zero at quarter time, uh, up eight points to four at half time, And then, yeah, the premiership quarter, as they call it, the third quarter, we started to pull away a bit. Uh, I think it was 21 to 4 at three quarter time. But yeah, incredible game of footy. It was really physical. Um, the tackling was, you know, as strong as ever. Um, really high pressure game. So it was awesome effort from us um, to come back from, you know, a, a big loss to the Lions a couple of weeks ago. Um, and yeah, the, the Lions are a great footy team. So it was just an awesome game to be a part of. Well, let's take your perspective as coach what are you thinking at that stage it's tight the game's on the line the Lions had knocked you off in the major semi-final all their stars were back was there a moment was there any doubt that okay we could be vulnerable here or were you confident that you were going to roll over the top and and take out the cup uh look before the game I I honestly had no idea we we obviously put a lot of planning into you know trying to right the wrongs of a couple of weeks ago, get the things right that we didn't quite do as well as we thought we could have. Um, and then heading into the game, you know, I, I wasn't that sure. But I think even though at quarter time we kicked with the breeze and only managed to score two points um, with it, I was actually quite confident at that point. Just you could tell, you can tell when your team is up and about and everyone was, everyone was on. The chasing was, you know, second to none. The tackling was awesome. Um, yeah, everyone was just in good spirits. And, and sometimes you just get that feeling, that, you know, something special is about to happen. And then I think we kicked the first goal of the game into the breeze uh, and that really set us up for a big day. So for whatever reason, everyone just was fired up and, and ready to do whatever they had to do to win the game. And, yeah, fortunately, we came away with a win. The best on ground for the day, Caitlin Jeffress. Yeah, trucker. That's our um, superstar trucker. She uh, had a great game. I think before the game, I said to her, "She's it, it could be down to her how, how this one goes because we said when we're kicking against the breeze, we're actually going to drop a loose player back and we're going to and make that her. Um, and like single-handedly, literally single-handedly stopping goals. There was one that she was in the goal square, dived, touched the ball, went through for a point. Another couple t- taking intercept marks, you know, 20 metres out from goal. It was quite an inspirational game from her. So 
uh, wins the best on ground, took home the footy, gets the budgie smuggler voucher, and yeah, she can be really proud of herself for a great game. Congratulations to Caitlin for being the Women's League Premiership uh, best on ground. Talking about best and best and fairest, let's get some best and fairest and leading goal kickers from both the Premiership Division and the Conference Division for 2018. Yeah, so in the Women's Premiership, the best and fairest was Kylie Russo from the North London Lions. Um, I've been lucky enough, I got to work with Kylie last year as part of the London All-Stars. So she's a really good midfielder capable of playing as a defensive lockdown player, but also a really attacking role. Um, you know, she's got a really lovely kick and good shot at goal. So I think this season was her, her best year, really consistent. And having seen the, the voting, it seemed to get votes in just about every match. So, yeah, obviously a great year. Um, and in that one, it was the runner-up was Caitlin Jeffress, who got best on ground on the day. So, yeah, two of the prime midfielders going at it on Saturday. And the leading goal kicker was also from North London Lions. That was Steph Philbay. Uh, Steph, she's yeah, hands down one of the most talented players in the league. And I think this year she played most of the season on one knee. She's uh, you know started out hobbling around, but still managed to kick goals every week and still looked more athletic and more dangerous than anyone else on the park. So you know she's a great player. And on the weekend, um, for us to keep her goalless was a, obviously went a long way towards us winning the game. Uh, in the conference division, we saw Dee Kelly from Putney Magpies take out the best and fairest. Uh, so her team mainly won two games for the season, but she absolutely dominated. She won the award by, I think it was eight votes or something. It was quite a large margin considering the amount of games we play over here. Um, so Dee, she plays in the ruck, but you know she could hold down any key position player because she's strong, takes a good grab. She's quite mobile as well. Um, so, you know, if, if she stays around next year and they can build build on their squad, she's the type of person that will lead you to a flag one day, I reckon. Um, and then the other the other award in the conference division was uh, leading goal kick, which was uh, Rita as a party from the London Swans. Uh, now, Rita, she's a sort of small, fast, mobile forward and was instrumental in the Swans in their run to the grand final. There's a lot of the games in that division are quite, tight or they're quite low scoring um, so to have someone like Rita who can add a bit of pace and she's got a long kick uh, that was really helpful for them being successful so yeah they're, they're our four winners of the awards this year um, as well as Caitlin Jeffress best on ground in the Premiership Grand Final and Timmy Chatterjee best on ground in the Conference Grand Final. And after back-to-back premierships for you at the Wandsworth Demons I believe uh, you're hanging up the coach's whistle from the AFL London Women's League. Yeah, a bit of a, it was an emotional day on Saturday because obviously I, I play as well and coach and so we've made a lot of great friends and been a part of, uh, I've managed to play in one premiership and coach two. So it's in three years, that's a very good return. Um, so it's been a great part of my life. But yeah, heading back to Australia, um, say goodbye to the demons, but hopefully keep involved in footy uh, when we get back to Australia. So if anyone's got a job for me, they can give, give me a bell. <laughs> the name is Mitch Scully. Just look for him on uh, Facebook. <laughs> Mitch, thank you very much again for joining us here on uh, Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. And we look forward to catching up with you um, in a month or so time, obviously when the Euro Cup comes around and uh, you'll be coaching the England Vixens for that tournament. Yeah, that'd be great. We'll definitely get in touch and have a chat about the Euro Cup. That's, uh, that'll be my uh, last hurrah in Europe with footy. So, yeah, we'll have a chat then. 
Time to jump into our State Leagues wrap. We're doing it nice and early this week, and let's find out all the latest that's been happening in the AFL Sydney Women's Premier Division. And joining us on the line is Lauren Hodgson. Lauren, how are you? Yeah, really well, thanks, Peter. How are you? Not too bad at all. The penultimate round of the AFL Sydney Women's Premier Division, and we start by having a look at the early game where Western Wolves 2-3-15 went down to the UTS Shamrocks 4-3-27. Yeah, look, it was a close one like we thought it would be. Um, Wolves got the jump on the Shamrocks at the start, uh, kicking one, two, eight to nothing uh, in the first quarter. But after that, the Wolves didn't kick another goal till uh, the fourth quarter. Um, as I said, pretty low-scoring game. The Shamrocks kicked a couple in the second. Um, no goals were scored in the uh, in the third quarter at all. In fact, in the third quarter, there was only one point. Um, scored in total, and that was from the Wolves. So, yeah, very low-scoring game, um, but still quite a competitive one. Uh, goal kickers for the Shamrocks were Behan, Breen and O'Loughlin, and uh, the goal kickers for the Wolves were Urquhart and Miller. So, uh, yeah, a close one there for both teams. Obviously, Wolves would be um, disappointed not to get a win. The UNSW Eastern Suburbs Bulldogs, 11-10-76, defeated the Auburn Penrith Giants, 4-9-33. Yeah, look, this game definitely wasn't uh, wasn't as close as the first one. Um, look, a little bit of inaccurate kicking from the Giants there, kicking 4-9. Um, still wouldn't have been now able to win the game if they had have kicked straight. Um, obviously, Bulldogs are continuing their strong form that they've um, they've had all season. Uh, you know, fairly consistent with their goal kicking throughout the game. Uh, goal kickers for Bulldogs again. Uh, Beck Privatelli kicked the bag. She kicked five. Nielsen and McGee each kicked three, and uh, the goal kickers for the uh, Giants were Bryden with two, uh, Ubel and uh, Tomkins. So Bryden's uh, been a fairly consistent goal kicker uh, for the Giants this year and also the previous couple of years, but they'd be um, disappointed to go down by so much to the Bulldogs uh, on uh, on so close to the finals. And a game which has implications on who can make the top four ended up being quite one-sided in the end. The Southern Power, just the one behind. Sydney Uni Bombers meant business, 8-10-58. Yeah, definitely, look, um, and, and the Power only got that behind late in the game. Um, look, we spoke about this game a, a couple of weeks ago, Peter, and, and sort of said that this this game could actually determine um, who makes the top four. Um, going into the game, uh Sydney Uni Bombers were two games out of the eight. Oh, sorry, two games out of the four, I should say, sorry. Um, and now that they've been power, they're only one game behind, but their percentage is significantly better than powers. Um, so, look, it sets up a really interesting last round um, for both teams. Um, yeah, but, look, power would be disappointed. And, look, full, all, all credit to the Bombers. They played really well throughout the game. Um Laven was strong up forward for them, kicking the four goals. Uh, as I said, Power obviously got the one point, so no goal scorers for them, which is, is really disappointing. But, um, yeah, look, Bombers are playing right at the right time of the season, but have they done enough to to get through? We um, we won't find out till, uh, till next week. And, look, if, if Power get a draw or a win um, against the Giants this weekend, um, it won't matter what Sydney Uni do, they can't get in, but um, certainly sets up for a really intriguing uh, last round of games, Peter. And Macquarie University, 15-6-96, accounted for the Newtown Breakaways, one one seven. 
Yeah, look, another one-sided game. Um, the biggest difference of the, the round, um, Laura Russell was a machine up forward for the Warriors, kicking seven. Um, and look, Aslan Albury kicked four of her own. So, um, you know, a couple of bags there. Uh, look, and, and the Warriors just kept building and building throughout the game. Three in the first, six in the, the second, another couple in the third, and, and then finished off with four. And uh, their, their kicking was fairly accurate as well, 15-6. So um, they'd be really pleased with that, uh, you know. Obviously, they've had a, a good season anyway. But to, um, you know, be kicking that accurately and finishing off the season strong is definitely setting them up for finals. Um, Newtown would obviously be disappointed to uh, to only get the one goal one um, for the game. And, uh, yeah, that, that single goal kicked by Wright uh, only came in the fourth quarter. So disappointing for them. Um, but, yeah, certainly shaping up for our... Uh, a good last round, and um, yeah, heading into finals, we should see some cracking games. And what a last round it is, and how the games are scattered throughout the day. Let's explain first of all with round 17, 11 a.m. Saturday at Trumper Park. The bottom two sides meet UTM Shamrocks versus the Newtown Breakaways. Yeah, look, this could could actually be one of the closer games of the round. Um, given that it's it's their home ground, I'm going to tip the Shamrocks here, uh, as I said, in a close one. Then at 11.10am at Sydney Uni, number one oval, the Sydney Uni Bombers versus the UNSW Eastern Suburbs Bulldogs. Yeah, look, this is obviously has the potential to um, play a part in who makes the four. If the Bombers win it, uh, well, the Bombers have to win it to be any chance of um, making the top four. If the Bombers win it, they then have to rely on power losing. Um, for them to make finals, so it, it's not a done deal. And obviously, the Bulldogs being the second top team, it, it's going to be a tough ask. But you know, they only lost to Mac Uni by a point uh, the previous round, so look, this should be a really interesting one. Um, I'm tipping. I'm not sure if you'd quite call it an upset, but I'm uh, tipping that Sydney Uni Bombers are, are going to come home with a wet sail and they'll um, they'll win this in a close one and um, definitely put all the pressure on power. 2.40pm at Macquarie University on the Saturday. Macquarie University hosts the Western Wolves. Uh, look, no disrespect to the Wolves, but obviously MacUni's form's been so strong throughout the year, um, you know, only only losing the one game. Um, and, and I think Uni are, again, going to have a strong game and, and have a big win against the Wolves. So, again, we repeat that if Sydney Uni beat the Bulldogs, that's fifth, beats second in the early game. It then all comes down to 4.10pm Saturday, Grey Gums Oval. It is third versus fourth, Auburn Penrith Giants versus the Southern Power. So if the Bombers beat the Bulldogs, it's then all on the powers to at least get a draw to be able to make the four. Yeah, that's it. And, I mean, look, having a later game start, um, I'm not sure if it actually helps the power because – uh, look, you know, they're going to know whether um, Sydney Uni have, have won or not before their game finishes. Um, so, look, in some ways, if they know that Sydney Uni have lost, it probably takes a little bit of the pressure off, but I don't think you, you can rely on that. And I think Power have to, to go out and, and uh, you know, play like their lives depend on it. Um, and, look, even if Sydney Uni do lose, Power are going to play Giants, um, I think, in the first week of finals anyway. So they'd want to have a strong game and, um, you know, set themselves up. So, look, this is um, potentially the most interesting game of the round because regardless of, um, yeah, regardless of what Sydney Uni do, um, you know, Power really 
you know, want to win this one anyway. And look, the last time these teams played, it was uh, it was all even, and then a goal was kicked either just on or just after the siren to give the uh the Giants a the six point win. But that was at Powers home ground. So um, look, I think it's going to be a really interesting one. Um, you know, Giants can't move from third regardless of whether they they win, lose, or draw. Um, and Power definitely have the the most to play for. Um, so I'm going to tip them in a close one um, because I think the fight will will get them up in the end. But um, yeah, be a a very interesting game, Peter. And Lauren, on that one, it's it's a perplexing situation, and isn't it for the Power coach when he oh, wakes up absolutely. on on Saturday morning? If the Bombers win, then he has a scenario where she said they've got to win, so he's got to throw the best side and the best game plan at it. But should the Bombers lose, so they're then automatically in the top four, then how much do you really want to give away in your game plan to the Giants knowing that you've got to front them again the next week? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I look, I don't think the at least the top flight of Sydney women's footy's probably seen a season so even. And we've spoken about this every week, Peter, with different results that the season's this season has been the most even the competition ever has been. And, um, yeah, look, I don't think we've ever had a final round quite like this where, um, you know, things are still in the balance. It's generally, sorry, generally quite sort of clear cut by this stage um, who's going to make it. So, look, it definitely sets up for an intriguing round. And as I said, the fact that the Bombers game against the Bulldogs will be finished before, um, you know, well and truly before the Power and the Giants game finishes, um, you know, that potentially has an impact uh, on the game as well. But as I said, to an extent, I don't think Power can um, sort of think, yeah, too much about it. I think you've got to to, to go out there and, and play your best. And look, even if they, they knew that they were, I suppose, safe in the finals by a Bombers loss, um, I think you have to go out there and throw everything at it. Because if they are going to play the Giants in, uh, in that week one of finals, um, you know, if they go in with the win, having beaten them, um, you know, they're going to be the side that, that carries their momentum. So, uh, look, it's going to be really intriguing. And, uh, yeah, I'll definitely be uh, checking the scores. And uh, I do know that uh, Auburn Penrith out there, I'm pretty sure their uh, stats people actually do live scoring of the game. Um, I'm not sure if any of the other clubs do. But, uh, look, it's going to be definitely an intriguing game to keep track of. Well, Lauren, thanks very much for joining us again this week on Women's Australian Rules Football Radio, and we look forward to having your company again next week when we review this crazy final round and then preview the semifinals. Yeah, looking forward to it, and uh, yeah, can't wait for finals footy. Checking out results from the AFL Canberra First Grade Women's Competition on the weekend. Eastlake 5-7-37 defeated Balconnen 5-4-34. Ainsley 12-11-83 defeated Tuggeranong 1-2-8. While Gungala 1-6 went down to Quimbian 12-12-84. To the 15th and final round in the AFL Canberra First Grade Women's Competition this Saturday, 18th of August at 11.30am. Alan Ray Oval is the venue. Ainsley host Gungarlan. 11.30am Saturday at Greenway Oval, Tuggeranong host Eastlake, and 4pm Saturday at Orlandshire Park, Quimbian host Balconnen. Across the Tasmanian State League women's competition, round 16 played on the weekend, where Clarence 2010-130 defeated the Tigers, no score, while Bernie won behind, went down to Launceston 15-5-95, Glenorchy having the bye. 
looking ahead to round 17 action. Just the one game to be played, that is on Sunday the 19th of August at 12pm at Twins Ovals, where Tigers host Glenorchy, Bernie, Clarence and Launceston all having the bye. Time to check out all the finals action from the QWAFL. And joining us on the line is a premiership coach with Gatta Tweed in Aaron Russell. Aaron, how are you? Oh, Peter, finals time, best time of the year. Um, especially to those teams that make it, of course. Um, we had some pretty good games on the weekend. Well, let's start first of all with the elimination semi that was played at Griffith University. And the UQ Red Lions, 8-5-53, eliminating Gatta Tweed, 4-3-27. Yeah, that's right. Um, too too strong in the end, but uh, yeah, Cooley definitely made amends from their game last time these two sides met uh, not long ago. Um, so yeah, I think it was fifty fifty five um, to four last time. So fifty three to twenty seven on this occasion, and Cool and Gatter notably were also leading at half time um, by goal uh, and. Uh, you know, that's a decent, decent effort. 21-15 um, at halftime. So they were well and truly in the game and it was in the balance. Um, third quarter is what did it. UQ Rab the pole on four goals to one um, in that third quarter and Cooley to not score in the last. So second half, um, side of two tails in this match. Uh, Cooley were noticeably without... Um, bonafide star Leah Kassler, which obviously makes a huge difference. But one, Matty Roberts, um, who plays out of the midfield, managed to kick two goals for them um, in that game and did a ton of work. She was absolutely everywhere. Um, and it's great to see Beth Pynchon, who held up well in the back line for those guys. Um, it's center half back, who's a ex-under-18 All-Australian center half back, mind you, as well, um, who had a uh, knee-ending um, ACL injury uh, in 2016 at the end there. So great to see her back and playing some good footy in an important game um, for Cooley. But UQ too strong. Uh, in the end, Marnie McGorm kicking the four goals. Not a, not a super notable goal kicker, especially not to get four in the tally, especially when you like some Sabrina Frederick-Traub um, in the side. They'll definitely be needing her um, to register on the scoreboard uh, next week, but we'll get to that game in a minute. Um, Kate McCarthy also um, scoreless. Um, so it was sort of their, their, their lesser lights getting the job done on the weekend. Um, uh, but Nat Greider, uh, also who's uh, under-18s um, representative player, from this season, um, also had a great game uh, for them on the weekend. So um, it would be interesting, but they got the chocolates uh, and advanced to the next round. In the major semi-final, to book a ticket straight through to the grand final, the uh, Gorillas stood the test against a seasoned Kings 4-14-38 Wilson Grange, defeating Cooperu 4-4-28. Oh, what a scoreline that is. Hey, 4-14. That's correct. Four goals, 14 behinds to 4-4. Both sides kicked equal amount of goals. Uh, Wilson Grange got up by 10, uh, solitary behind. So um, Cooper never looked out of this match. They were always within touch. Um, the biggest lead of the game was just the two goals. Um, they were always in it. Uh, 10 points at the third change um, and finishing on 10, but they were just sort of always that goal goal behind. Um, just couldn't quite get there in a, in a fairly low-scoring affair. Uh, Jess Wushner got on board. Uh, Jay, Janae Govan, who's their leading goal scorer, also got on board. And a few of their juniors chimed in quite nicely as well on the day. But they just, just couldn't quite um, quite get there this time around. They will, they'll uh, get a second crack at them in the granny 
um, if they're able to beat uh, UQ now as they'll play off in the prelim. But uh, Wilson Grange have been an absolute juggernaut this season, and um, they're going to be really hard to stop. Um, even still, and you know, you could say they could have won by a lot more on the weekend. I mean, we know Cooper who have a solid defence, put a lot of teams under pressure. They're solid. They're good in the air. They're good on the ground. They rebound well, um, and they they provide some really good matchups. Um, so they'll, they'll be they'll be they'll uh, be better for it, I think, next time around. But they need to get over UQ this weekend. Good game for those who went down, though, and that's what we want to see in second semi 1v2, Peter. Yep, this Saturday, 18th of August, 4.45pm at Giffen Park. Cooperoo plays host to the UQ Red Lions. Are you going to back the Red Lions because they got a bit of a wet sail for putting away Gather Tweed, or will you back Cooperoo, who got close to Wilson Grange and seem in form? Uh, hard, hard to tip, isn't it? I think there'll be definitely arguments for both sides here. Um, I think Cooperoo may go in slight favourites into this game, uh, mainly just on the back of obviously where they finished on the ladder and they've been a really solid side and although they haven't been able to knock off um, the side above them yet, they did come close on the weekend um, and I think I think they're going to be better for it. They're hungry, um, they've got some experienced players in their lineup, uh, probably slightly more experienced side than UQ. Um, both sides have got the calibre to get the job done, I think. Um, I know UQ have been, been definitely picking up in the last few weeks, but I still don't think they're quite hit their straps yet. Um, I think they've still got a little bit of improvement in it. I think this game could go either way uh, on the weekend. Really think we, UQ going to need to see um, Sabrina get on the scoreboard um, like we know she can. They've really got to capitalise there. I wouldn't mind seeing Sharni Webb um, up around sort of the half forward, centre half forward. Um, she she's, can take a grab, can slot some goals, but also she's got a great field kick as well. So I think she could be the one to take some fields, uh, t- to take some grabs between the arcs, roll around and uh, hit Sabrina lace up. Um, and then, see, then throw McCarthy down there. I really think those three sort of need to be working together down there. McCarthy more ground ball can come up and then come back with a fly ball. That's what I really want to see um, UQ implement this weekend. Um, whether they do it or not, I don't know. But um, I think that that could be the game. They really need to to get some score on the board um, against Cooper. We know how solid their back line is. So it's going to be a really tough game. Super hard to pick. I reckon this could be... Match of the season, Peter. Match of the season this weekend, prelim UQ versus Cooperoo. And if you're the Wilston Grange Gorillas, you're just sitting back hoping it's a bruising encounter between the two sides. So one of them who does win is left battered and bruised and uh, feeling a bit sick and sorry going into the grand final. Oh, Prelims usually are that way. Um, So that that could could definitely be the case. Obviously, we would hate to see anyone's season end um, from the weekend, but... Yeah, definitely. Uh, Wilson Grange have earned themselves a, a spot in the granny. They've gone through, um, and those girls need to make the best most of the weekend off, uh, get their bodies cherry ripe, and um, and take on whoever whoever comes out of the the end of this game. But I think it'll be match of the season this weekend. Cooperoo versus UQ. Well, Aaron, thanks very much for joining us here on Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival, and we look forward to catching up with you next week when we review the preliminary final and preview the 2018 Quaffle Grand Final. Thanks again. Looking forward to it.
Checking out what happened in the WAWFL League Finals. And we start with the first semi-final where Swan Districts 4-8-32 went down to Subiaco 9-2-56. In the second semi-final, East Fremantle 12-11-83 defeated the Peel Thunderbirds 3-3-21. That means East Rio goes straight through to the grand final. In the preliminary final this Sunday at 2 p.m., Peel Thunderbirds host Subiaco. Over in the Adelaide Footy League Women's Division 1, we had the first semi-final between Salisbury and Christie's Beach, where Salisbury 7-8-50 defeated Christie's Beach 2 straight 12. In the second semi-final, Morphville Park 4-5-29 went down to Adelaide University 5-1-31. So a close one there. In the preliminary final this Saturday, 6 p.m. at Callot Reserve, Morphville Park host Salisbury with the winner, to play Adelaide University in the grand final the following week. Time to find out what's been happening in the Swiss Wellness VFL Women's Competition and joining us on the line all the way from Port Douglas, we've got Matthew Cox. Coxie, how are you? <laughs> Hello, Pete. You've uh, interrupted my uh, poolside sitting time to come and do this, but uh, no, big weekend of Victorian women's football and a couple of interesting results. It seems to be the word that we've used throughout 2018, interesting, because that's just what sort of a season it has been. The race for the top four has just narrowed after this weekend. Let's begin by looking at the first game that was played on Saturday morning. The Casey Demons, a disappointing 1-6-12, getting thumped by Melbourne Uni 10-5-65. Yeah, this game thought Melbourne University had a few players coming back into their side, uh, particularly those that are involved in the North Melbourne AFLW program. So they're filtering back into the Muggers lineup over the next couple of weeks. And this result, I thought uh, Melbourne University would be able to put in a performance like it. What I didn't think would happen is such the low score from the Casey Demons, who have been in some great form in uh, recent Weeks they they pushed the Northern Territory Thunder a couple of weeks ago up in Alice Springs had a a good win over Carlton a week or so ago so this performance from them was really disappointing only kicking a behind up until half time uh, at that same point Melbourne University had five goals four on the board kicking a further five goals one in the second half the Muggers so a really impressive and dominant performance from them their goal kickers on the weekend. Abitangelo kicked two goals, Greiser kicked two, and then singles to Price, Riddle, Ashmore, Angelus, Prisparkas, and Anderson. So some familiar names amongst that list, some experienced names amongst that list impacting the scoreboard for the Muggers. The only goal kicker for Casey was Shevlin uh, on the weekend. Leading disposal getters on the ground, Prisparkas once again dominating the footy racking up 28 touches and laying six tackles on the weekend. Shevlin was the best performer for the Demons, adding to her goal with 22 touches and three tackles on the weekend. Garabin have been skating on very, very thin ice to try and make it to the finals, and they dodged a bullet that had its name written on it by the Southern Saints. The Saints, 6-3-39, just falling short of Darabin, 7-1-43, and causing a major boil over. Yeah, the Saints were up by a goal at quarter time. It was all level at half time. It was a goal in favour of Darabin come the final change and then uh, they were able to get themselves over the line in the final term. The Southern Saints looked as though they had a couple of scoring opportunities 
in that last quarter, kicking one goal two uh, to the Falcons, just one goal. So missed chances for the Southern Saints. Uh, I, I think, though, it's considering the season that they've had, I don't think they can be too disappointed in the loss, obviously, because it was so close and because it was Peter Searle's first time coaching against the Falcons on the weekend. So there was a little bit of extra feeling in it. I think what they can take away from it is that they can match it with the top sides of the competition. They've been able to push um, and put in respectable performances um, this season. So a real developing and uh, learning curve to them in 2018. But uh, they remind me in a similar way, they're probably slightly more advanced than what Box Hill were at this time last year. We know the season that Hawthorne have gone on to have this year. So expecting big things from the Southern Saints as they prepare for the AFLW program in a couple of years' time. For Darabin, though, uh, as you said, it keeps their finals hopes alive. They do need results to go their way, though, if they are to make the top four. But uh, they're giving themselves the best opportunity. And given the form that they've been in after beating Hawthorne, uh, a week ago, and then the Southern Saints on the weekend. You don't want to encounter a Darabin side once you hit September because they are going to be very dangerous. They just seem to be building as the year comes uh, to a close. Simpson on the weekend kicked two. Had a mounts. He hit the scoreboard again with two goals as well. Singles to Hammond, Gearan and Wilson. Whilst for the Southern Saints, Munn kicked two. Silver, Jones, Balding and Bohanna were the goal kickers on the weekend. Leading disposal getter on the ground uh, actually went the way of the Southern Saints with Drennan racking up 30 touches and laying six tackles. Eleanor Brown uh, also racked up 24 touches on the weekend. So the two leading disposal getters on the ground went the way of the Southern Saints. Maddie Guerin continues her impressive fortnight racking up 23 touches for the Darabin Falcons and also laying six tackles. The top of the table clash lived up to the hype. We called it live on RSN Carnival. The NT Thunder coming from behind, 5-8, 38, to knock off the Pies and give them their first loss of the season, 4-4, 28. Yeah, this is one of the reasons I've headed to Port Douglas for the week, Pete, because I'm still coming off how good this game was. Uh, Remarked during the broadcast that it was a finals-like atmosphere and I would have been happy if that was our grand final on the weekend. Both sides, not 100% in terms of the talent on the park. We know that Lambert, Malloy, Hines were missing for Collingwood and there was some fairly significant stars also missing from the Thunder lineup. And also got the sense on the weekend that Collingwood were just trying a few things, testing the versatility of their side and not... Uh, pushing or revealing all the cards at this point in time, considering they're likely to play the Thunder uh, in the first week of finals at this point in time. So uh feel as though there was a, a little bit of mind games occurring. Collingwood definitely uh, were more settled in the opening half. So I felt uh, the Northern Territory Thunder were a little rushed, a little panicked with their ball movement and it, Collingwood were just able to hurt them going the other way by staying very composed and very settled. That changed in the second half when the Northern Territory Thunder became more structured. They Their skill level improved. Um, they were hitting targets. They were moving the ball and transitioning it very, very quickly, which hurt Collingwood. It opened them up a little bit for the first time 
in 2018. So a good performance for the Thunder to get them over the line. Ebony Marinoff was one of the standout players on the weekend. She racked up 28 touches, was the third best in terms of uh, the disposal getters on the weekend, but did lay eight tackles, took five marks as well. She was pivotal, especially in that final term, setting up passages of play uh, that resulted in scoring opportunities for the Thunder. They were a little inaccurate, not as uh, damaging in terms of majors as what they have been throughout the course of the season, but they did enough to get the job done. Foley kicking two goals. Hickey also kicked two, and Roberts kicked one as well. Whilst for Collingwood, Bateman, Schleiser, Grubb and Livingston were their goal kickers. The other major disposal getters on the ground for the Northern Territory, Thunder McCormick, who was also impressive on the weekend, uh, racked up 31 touches, 21 kicks and 10 handles. That breakdown. She also laid two tackles, one of them fairly significant uh, in the second half. That centre-half back stopped a uh, would-be goal from Collingwood and uh, was certainly helped in Northern Territory turning the tide. Foley also wrecked up 29 touches on the weekend, leading disposal getter for the Pies, 23. A nice little reality check for Collingwood as uh, we prepare to enter the final series. I don't think we'll see them lapse again, and I think they'll just be a little more attacking than what we've seen in the last couple of weeks, given the results on the weekend. Geelong continued their nice little hot streak, 8-11-59, accounting for Essendon, 2-2-14. Yeah, down at GMHBA Stadium, this one. It uh, went according to script, uh, Geelong. Again, they were a little bit inaccurate, given they kicked uh, eight goals, 11 in fact, they kicked six behind in the third term, so uh, a little bit disappointing for Paul Hood's group. Uh, they'll be hopefully uh, having a few, a fair bit of goal kicking practice because they have been inaccurate over the last couple of weeks, even though they've been able to rack up big percentage boosting wins. Bombers on the other side of the coin. We know how tough that their season's been. Uh, we've detailed that they've. Been a developing group of players um, uh, trying to settle that into some structure and rhythm. Unfortunately for them, uh, it came unstuck on the weekend. They didn't kick a goal until the third quarter and were only managed to get two goals, two on the board. Those came from Quigley and DiMatteo. The goal kickers on the weekend for the Cats all kicked two. Clifford again prominent up forward, kicking two goals. Kirik Virtual, Travine and Fogus, the other goal kickers for the Geelong Cats. The disposal getters on the ground in this match, Rochelle Cranston racked up 24 touches, again continuing her impressive form for the Cats in the VFLW and uh, for the Bombers racking up 20 touches on the weekend was Bullis laying an incredible 17 tackle. She is a uh, tackling machine, Hayley Bullis at the Bombers, being one of their uh, shining lights in what's been a fairly difficult season for them. Richmond will be filthy. They let the Williamstown Seagulls off the hook. They were leading, and then somehow they lost. Richmond, 5-7-37. Williamstown pulling one out of the fire, 5-8-38. Yeah, and it was Richmond's experienced players in the side. Emma King was back on the weekend. Bernardi back in the side, so lifting that firepower up forward for the Tigers. And as you said, they got out to a very handy lead at halftime. It was, uh, they were up by 18 points. It was three goals, four 
to just four behinds. Williamstown was able to peg that back in the third term and uh, then, as you said, uh, just get over the line by a point, a seesawing final term. Uh, so a disappointing result for Richmond, especially considering they've uh, been thumped uh, the last couple of weeks and would have been searching for some positivity and it was shaping up as though that the weekend was going to provide them with that. But well done for the Seagulls. They persevered. It's uh, been one of, I suppose, their, their positive lights in the, the back half of the season that they've been very competitive, at least on the scoreboard, and which was an area of concern earlier in the season. And they seem to be finishing off games strongly as well. So uh, good performance for the Seagulls. Garner kicking two goals. The Duffin also impacting the scoreboard on the weekend with a single Whiting and Harris were the other goal kickers, whilst for the Tigers, Dixon kicked two, Bernardi, King and Ross, their other goal kickers. Disposals on the weekend, uh, no surprise here that Jess Duffin was sitting up the top with 30 touches, uh, took two marks and laid four tackles as well. Phoebe Monaghan's been impressive for Richmond across the 2018 VFL W season. She racked up 25 touches on the weekend, and also laid seven tackles. So continuing her impressive form in the state league competition with the Tigers. And in our match of the day on Sunday, a clinical Hawthorne, 11-13-79, defeated a disappointing Western Bulldogs, four straight 24. Yeah, read the uh, tea leaves prior to the start of this game when Debbie Lee uh, was speaking about how it was a, a focus on developing players, testing players, um, and and not really focused on the win-loss aspect. And uh, it was surprising to hear that wasn't really focused on the uh, top four aspirations, which the Bulldogs entered this game still in contention for. Um, that was uh, the complete opposite to Paddy Hill, who seemed very focused and very determined on getting their structures right after a disappointing loss to Darabin the week before. Um, that, in my mind, indicated that they were clearly going for the win on the weekend. And at quarter time, it certainly indicated that there were 10 scoring shots to just one. Uh, again, the only thing that probably let Hawthorne down were that they were inaccurate, kicking 13 behinds on the weekend in addition to their 11 goals. And felt like they just switched off a little bit in the final term. It allowed the Bulldogs to get two late goals and make the scoreboard look slightly more respectable than what it probably should have been given their performance up until three-quarter time. Um, their contested footy was better in the second half, but I really feel the Western Bulldogs relied a little too heavily throughout the mid-part of the season on their AFLW experience. We know they started the season poorly when those players weren't featured in the side, and it's looking as though they uh, won't be featuring too prominently towards the end of the season either. So apart from that first of six games in the middle, uh, been an interesting up-and-down seesawing season for the AFLW players. But we also know that this is a vastly different list uh, compared to that side that ran out earlier in the year for the AFLW program. For Hawthorne, uh, their structure was back. They were working hard. Um, they were constantly switched on apart from that final quarter, as I mentioned before. It just dropped off in touch uh, for intensity, which I think 
they need to show that they're capable of running a game out for four quarters if they're going to face a side like the Northern Territory Thunder, which happens this week and we'll preview in a moment, um, and uh, Collingwood or Geelong, uh, who seem to run out games fairly well as well. So it'll uh, be interesting to see how Hawthorne goes over the next couple of weeks. Their goal kickers on the weekend, Perkins kicked three, was in outstanding form. Gilder contributed with two. McWilliams uh, back in front, kicked two goals as well. Was a little inaccurate, kicked, I think, three or four behinds in addition to that. Rosie Dillon kicked two goals. Rebecca Beeson had an outstanding game and hit the scoreboard with a major, as did Tamara Luke, whilst McLeod, Jolly, Hunt and Danuccio were the goal kickers for the Western Bulldogs. Disposal getters on this ground, as I mentioned, Beeson had a fantastic game. Uh, racking up 25 touches, taking two marks, laying three tackles. Cropic Rills also impressive, 18 disposals on the weekend. Meg Hutchins was up there once again, 18 touches. And you had to go all the way down to Lawrence Sparks, 17 touches on the weekend for the Western Bulldogs, also took six marks, one of their better players uh, in a defence that was under constant pressure. And Carlton had the bye. Let's have a look to round 15, the second last round of the Swiss Wellness VFL Women's Competition. It all begins 2 p.m. Saturday, 18th of August at Ted Summerton Reserve in Moey, where Collingwood play host to the Southern Saints. Given that the Southern Saints have been very competitive in recent weeks, uh, I'd suggest that they're going to push Collingwood, but I don't see them losing, I think. Uh, they'll come out a bit like Hawthorne did on the weekend against the Western Bulldogs. I think they're going to be switched on from the word go after dropping the game to the Northern Territory Thunder last weekend. And they will get over the line, but it won't be a comfortable journey for them. I think the Southern Saints to push, but the Pies to win. At VU Witten Oval in Footscray, Saturday 2pm, the Western Bulldogs play host to Melbourne Uni. If the common theme continues for the Western Bulldogs and they are continuing to miss some of their AFLW talent, then unfortunately I see a similar result coming their way. Melbourne University are building momentum. They're building confidence. Uh, the games that we called a couple of weeks ago, you could see that coming through even though they weren't getting the win on the board. They'll take a lot out of that victory against Casey on the weekend, and I'm expecting them to do something similar this weekend against the Western Bulldogs. Saturday, 3pm at Windy Hill, Essendon versus Williamstown, the bottom two sides in a game that will be trialling rules to be possibly introduced in the AFLW season for 2019. Yeah, which include the larger goal square, shorter kicks, uh, the last touch out of bounds rule only featuring between the 50 metre arcs. Just a couple of the rules that will be trialled in this match. Um, I don't see it having too much of an impact on the result of this game. I think the Williamstown Seagulls will be too good. I think they've just got that little bit extra experience in their side and considering they've been playing slightly better football as well uh, in recent weeks, I think they should be able to get the win. The Bombers hopefully are competitive uh, and push the Seagulls, um, but I think Williamstown will win. It sounds like the next game needs the uh, old Western movie showdown type of music playing in the background. The Northern Territory Thunder versus Hawthorne at TIO Stadium in Darwin, Saturday, 4.30pm. 
Well, considering I'm just a hop, skip and a jump away currently from where this game is being held, I'd be very tempted to uh, head across there if I didn't have other commitments on Saturday uh, because this is going to be a rip-snorting game. Uh, Northern Territory, Thunder, uh, I think they would have taken a fair bit out of the game on the weekend against Collingwood, beating the top side of the competition. Uh, I think they will relish that. I think Hawthorne have finally kicked into gear. It's taken them a little while, but I think uh, they'll certainly be able to push the Northern Territory. Um, I think, though, the Thunder should uh, win this game, not comfortably, but but win it at home. I think uh, they'll certainly be challenged. So it'll make for uh, an entertaining game to watch. Sunday, 12pm at Bill Laurie Oval in Northcote. Darabin play host to Carlton. Bit hard to get a read on Carlton uh, in recent weeks. Uh, prior to the bye, they went down to the KC Demons and prior to that had a good win over Richmond. So scratching my head when it comes to the Blues and, and what side shows up on the weekend. The Falcons, their third game in a row at Bill Laurie Oval. Uh, I see them winning. I see them uh, or I, I feel as if they're, they're trying to give themselves the best opportunity to make the top four. And I think they'll be more focused on winning the foot, football than what uh, Carlton will be on the weekend because they've got something to play for. Richmond have the bye and our match of the day on RSN Carnival, digital radio, the RSN Racing and Sport app and rsn.net.au. We're on air Sunday from 12pm for a 1pm bounce down. The Casey Demons host the Geelong Cats at Casey Fields, Cranbourne. First uh, trek out to Casey Fields in 2018 for the uh, Women's Australian Rules football crew. Um, curious to see how this is. Casey have been one of those side you just can't quite read. Uh, one week they're very good, the next week they're very poor. They've been a very inconsistent side which has cost them any opportunity of making finals in 2018. On the flip side of the coin you've got a Geelong side that over the last three weeks has been very impressive on the field but we do know in the middle part of the season they just had, had a few games where they didn't look themselves. Uh, one of those was against the Western Bulldogs up in Ballarat. That was the last game that I saw them in. So hoping that they can put a much better performance on the park this time against the Demons. And I think they should be able to do that. I think they've hit form at the right time. They will uh, go a long way in this game at securing a spot in the top four. Well, Coxie, thanks very much for joining us and we look forward to your company on Sunday from 12 noon for the KC Demons v Geelong game right here on RSN Carnival. Yeah, I'm, I'm very glad I'm coming out of mid-20s, Pete, into a 22-degree commentary box because otherwise it'd be a struggle to get me back. But looking forward to KC and Geelong and looking forward to specifically Northern Territory Thunder and Hawthorne seeing what that result is out of round 15 of the Swiss Wellness VFL Women's. You may recall earlier this year, we chatted with Georgia Walker uh, just a few weeks after she was appointed as captain of St Kilda's Southern Saints side that was playing in the VFL women's competition. She'd played a year of AFLW in 2017, being a late call-up for Collingwood due to the then knee injury for Kendra Heil. She had hopes of returning to the AFLW competition, but the news has come through in the last 24 hours that she is retiring from football effective immediately 
at just the age of 19. The reason being is she had two concussions this year. In fact, this year was her ninth concussion in about six or seven years. So as a result of speaking to doctors, family and friends, she decided to pull the pin. She is going to remain in football. She's currently working four days a week with the Saints as a secretary out at their Seaford facility. And uh, also she's been helping uh, coach the defensive line with the Southern Saints. But it is sad to hear that Georgia Walker will no longer be playing competitive Aussie rules footy. Our thoughts go out to her. And we wanted to honour her by replaying that interview that we had with her at the start of the year and happier times. She'd just come back from a holiday overseas and we talked about her footy journey starting all the way back as a youngster on the Mornington Peninsula. Enjoy. I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Not too bad at all. Uh, I should say, first of all, welcome back to Australia because if I'm correct, just recently you spent a little time in Cambodia. (laughs) I did. I spent about 10 days over with um, a lady named Shiloh Curtis who's, you know, big, powerful movement in um, helping the AFLW get to where it is now. And she is their pilot trip, so I went away on a bit of a holiday with her tour, which was very, very good. And how enlightening was that for you and um, your, I guess, outlook on the world as part of her own journey tours? It was incredible. I'd been to Cambodia once before with school in Year 9, and to go back um, with her to our own journey, it incorporates a whole lot of, like, meditation and reflection and you really like delving you're going with seven or eight strangers and really delve into your values and that type of stuff and some of the conversations you have can be quite personal but to be able to do that in a third world country like Cambodia it was an an experience that you couldn't give up and highly recommend but a promotion while we're at it to, for anyone who's listening to do it it is a hundred percent worthwhile to see the world and do some traveling and as well you know be able to discover yourself a bit as well. So let's take a step back in time. We're talking about 2008, 2009. (laughs) You first pulled on the footy boots with the Rye Footy Club. What's your earliest memories of that? Oh, oh, that's a hard one. I remember, I think it was my first game in under 10s. We are playing at Red Hill, and it's what they call the chip oval. It's one of the bumpiest, curviest-looking ovals you'll find. And back then, uh, my sister was a part of it. My dad was coaching and I just remember it just absolutely belted down with rain. The field was muddy. I probably only got like one or two touches. But I just remember that weather and that sting moment in my first game. I'm like, I'm playing football in the rain. What am I doing? <laughs> <laughs> it, it led you on to a long journey. You played many years at the Ryan yeah. Football Club. And, and you're one of the generation where, as we talk to many uh, women that we've interviewed that are in their mid to late 20s and older, they had to stop their football career at about 12 or 13 and then take it up again at 16 or later. For you, you yeah. were lucky. You were able to play through all those years junior football, first of all with the boys and then with the youth girls at Rye. Yeah. Absolutely. So I was very fortunate in the sense, um, uh, well, firstly, after I'd finished with the boys and I had an amazing team there and very supportive, um, so after I'd finished under 14, so there was actually no girls team for me to go to. So my parents and a couple other um, people like Gary Sanford down at Bendigo Bank at Rye really helped push to create the first girls team and we'll call the MPJ, or Mornington Peninsula Youth Girls Team, so almost a... Um, an interleague for the Mornington Peninsula of 14 to 18-year-olds. We played out of the Southeast Juniors competition. And so that was where I was lucky enough to be able to continue playing football, travelling up to Mornington to train and then uh, Cranbourne to play. And then two years later, after being in that competition, 
my parents again, especially my mum, were really instrumental in creating the MPJFL for the girls league. So we went straight in after that. I was able to go play youth girls. I was fortunate enough to be able to captain the girls and be a part of the first ever, well, we won back-to-back grand finals at that team. So I got to go back and wear the ride jumper, which I was so grateful for. Um, But, yeah, so lucky enough to be able to follow through straight from the boys. Um, But it was at that stage where it wasn't – the girls' team wasn't there for us already in our hands. We had had some incredible people who worked really hard to be able to create those teams for us, for me and other girls alike, to be able to continue playing. Like in anything, there's only one ever first stop, and maybe it's a bit hard to judge because you're only a few years away from it, so it'll probably mean more in your 20s, 30s, 40s, etc. But how does it feel to be that photo on the wall in the club rooms? You're the captain of that first Rise Youth Girls team and their first premiership. Oh, it was was really emotional, actually. Like, you know, I'd been... I grew up for, like, from when I was nine, playing at this Rye club, and being a girl playing football when I was that age, it wasn't it wasn't common. I was one of maybe two on the whole peninsula who played, and this club really, you know, pushed me on and spurred me on to chase my dreams of playing AFL and continue playing football. And to be able to actually go back playing the jumper, had the same number as what I did, and then create history and create this new team and friendships with all these girls. To go back and win the premiership as a captain, it was an incredible experience. And I yeah, absolutely honoured to be a part of something like that. Now, we've got a little bit more on right, but we'll come back to that a little bit later yeah. on. Um, That's right. The TAC Cup uh, girls competition is now running with all the academies involved. You were there in the early yeah. days. Well, there's only about uh, half a dozen or so. You played out of the Danny Nong Stingrays and you had yet another honour of being able to captain the Stingrays <laughs> and lead them to a premiership, defeating the Sandringham Dragons. Yes, that was incredible in itself. So my first year at TAC, I was actually at Sandy Dragons before Stingrays came across and then they'd finally built up that Stingrays team and I was fortunate enough to be able to captain them in their inaugural year and the second year as well running and that in that second year, that's when they started um, the TAC competition itself and had the grand final and to be able to captain that uh, in the first place and be able to give that opportunity was incredible and then to be a part of that first, win in the grand final against Sandy. They were kind of our nemesis um, or our enemies, as you call it. And it was an incredible experience and absolutely honoured to be a part of an amazing coaching staff. And a lot of those coaches from Stingrays are now coaching in the AFL. And there's a few girls that were in that team as well playing AFL. It's just, it's an incredible honour to be bestowed upon. If I'm correct, I think Scott Gowans was coaching that Stingrays team. Yeah, he was. He was, yeah. And, of course, he's now, as we know, coaching for Melbourne Uni this year and then for North Melbourne. He'll be coaching in 2019. So congratulations to Scott on that front. Absolutely. And, uh, again, to you about Scott, of course, he was a coach of Vic Country. You managed to play at Vic Country and you were part of <laughs> yeah. the first ever Vic Country side that won because they had, a, they had a tough going for the first few years there. Yeah, so Country was seen as, you know, the um, we weren't as, a, as strong a side as what Metro were. Metro were very successful um, you know, won a lot of um, grand finals and stuff and it just became, um, so I started out at Metro and then with our league change, I'd gone across the country because I'm in a country region down at Rye and from then, like I just, you know, myself and the other girls would come across, we really just wanted to build this uh, incredible culture, a winning culture and, you know, increase our professionalism and Scotty worked really well and worked really hard at that with a lot of the other coaches and as time went on, um, you know, we worked harder as individuals. And in that second year, 
of being at country in that year that I was captained, you know, we had an incredible pre-season. We had an incredible um, bunch of athletes in our team and to be able to pull off that first win, because I'd only been a part of country for two years, there was likes of Lily Missin and Bella Eyre who had been a part of that system for four or so years since it started and never won a game. And to win that game, was it was very emotional and it was an incredible game to be a part of. It truly was. And, of course, we know the country went on to bigger and better things in the next year, uh, taking out yeah. the title as well. So fantastic to see that improving Victorian country women's football. As we, as we headed into the 2016 draft, over 140 names were going to be called out. At that yeah. particular stage, your name wasn't. What, what was the feeling at that stage where you'd been a captain of Vic Country, there would have been an expectation to be picked up, but you were overlooked at that moment? Yeah, so... Um, and that draft day was, you know, disappointment to be honest. I'd, you know, I'd worked quite quite hard, and I'd thought of what I've had a rather successful year. Um, and to not being called out, it was kind of like, wow, it was almost a reality check or something of sorts. I didn't know how to react. I was quite upset and probably disappointed more in myself, but that I hadn't been able to exceed the coaches' expectations or be able to get signed on. But then at the end of the day, you know. It was the first draft and there was certain players team in the inaugural year that coaches were looking for. And I was like, you know, that's that's what was meant to be and I've just got to get back and work twice as hard off the track during pre-season to be able to try and aim for the draft the next year. As we know, in December, unfortunately for the Collingwood Magpies, Kendra Hile did come down with another ACL injury. Yeah. Um, as, as we know, as we speak of this very moment, Kendra's doing her rehab and looks like she'll be good to go for the VFLW season with Essendon. Uh, but yeah. at, at, at that moment, she's gone down, so they need to replace her. The phone call yeah. gets made to you. Do you recall that day, that moment? I do. So prior to that, I was a part of the um, the... VFL Academy or the Victorian Academy, State Academy. And um, so I'd been a part of that and it was, we had a practice match against Collingwood on a Friday Arbor, I think it was. And uh, so they, Collingwood got the chance to look at some of the girls from our academy. And from then they were going to pick their um, their player as a replacement for Kendra. And it was four to, and I'd left the game. I was like, oh, I didn't have a best game. I wasn't confident knowing that I'd, um, had spoken to Collingwood prior. I'd gone and had a rookie at the tryout and was overlooked again. And so I kind of didn't think anything about it. I didn't want to get my hopes up or anything. And it was a Tuesday afternoon just before I had training at Seaford and Wayne had called me. I'm like, oh, this is strange. Like every now and then me and Wayne would chat and have a, like check in on my footy and whatnot. And he called and he said that I was chosen. I was like, in, I was in pure shock. I was couldn't cry, I couldn't, I didn't know what to say. It was incredible that it was literally four days before Christmas and I was like, I'd finally been given this opportunity. Uh, it was incredible. Hashtag best Christmas present ever. Literally. <laughs> That's what I was going and telling everyone. <laughs> Is there a bit of guilt behind that as well, thinking, oh, like anyone at Christmas time, I'm about to tuck into this big Christmas feast and, uh-oh, I actually have pre-season training I've got to get to. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was. I remember on Christmas Day, I was like, I got up, we had our big Christmas breakfast. I'm like, all right, I'm going to go to the gym. So I went to the gym for a little bit, did one of the like our sessions on the holidays. Then we had our big lunch, um, big Christmas lunch. I'm like, oh, I just went to gym. Now I've got to do this. It's kind of a little bit guilty, but I was like, it, you had to live in it. <laughs> 
Well, you managed to have your first preseason training at Collingwood. How did it feel there? Did things click in like you normally do at the academy programs that you were with, with the TAC and, and the VFL women's? Or did you find the intensity went to yet another level at the Pies? Um, oh, I was very um, – I had high expectations of the level of training coming into Collingwood. Like being a part of the elite academies that I had, you know, I had had experienced some very – um, intense pre-seasons and stuff so I was expecting it to be next level up in which it was it was not only um, the intensity of it but the actual skills I was surrounded by some incredible players and some big names and which is quite intimidating um, as an 18 year old but and coming in late as well but yeah it did step up at notch and it, like I'd never had to um like for me it was like every training was a tryout to get a game that's like what I found. And I'd never had that before. It was like, you know, you had your three individual days of tryout, then you get selected, then it's just training. And it was, re- yeah, you really had to push yourself hard. And then that was something that I wasn't really used to. But it was an incredible experience. And, of course, being a Collingwood AFLW footballer like many, that means you have your own Wikipedia page now, which uh, is, has all the stats, including which they show your height at 5 foot 5 inches, midfielder, defender, debut, round two, Collingwood versus Brisbane at South Pine Sports Complex. Do you remember the occasion yes. of stepping out onto the ground for the first time oh, in a Collingwood jumper? Absolutely. So I'm actually a Brisbane supporter as well. So that was uh, just a little cherry on top for me, being able to play against, you know, the team that I barracked for. But um, it was that uh, that week because we flew out to Brisbane, my family had told me, like, because I'm a eldest of four siblings so rather expensive for the whole family to fly up and I was like oh that's fair enough so they weren't actually coming and so you know you debut in a game and you usually get your family and friends there or whoever to present you the jump pass so I was just expecting Wayne the coach and maybe Steph the captain to present it to me and I had my family and a really close family friend um, and his parents come walk in and present me the jumper. I was already in tears when I saw them, just the fact they'd all flown up to watch me in surprise and cheer me on in my first game. That was incredible. So then going onto the field in that Collingwood jumper, it was like everything I'd worked for had paid off. It was, it was a dream come true. It truly was. Now, we thought you might say that you followed the Brisbane Lions because um, <laughs> courtesy of the good people at Google and a little bit of searching, we've discovered a um, web page last modified, what is it, the 7th of August 2011. Congratulations, Georgia, 50 games. Now, yes. in that photo, of course, is uh, back in the days we've got the long ponytail and, of course, you've got the ride jumper on, which is the same as the Port Melbourne colours. Favourite yeah. position, half back. Funniest teammate, Jacko. Do you, are you still in, are you still in contact with Jacko? Yeah, me and I'm in contact with a lot of those boys still. I actually work with Jacko um, down at where the Seminole Hotel. So yeah, that's funny. That's really funny. <laughs> Favorite food, chocolate. Have you had to give that up, or are you still addicted to it? Considering obviously you know, oh. you're a professional footballer. Everything's in moderation. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and I can understand that being a Brisbane Lions supporter, your favourite player, Jonathan Brown. Yeah, 100%. He's absolute. He's a legend. He's a legend. And one final one as well. The question was asked there, which I love, mum's cooking or Macca's? You've gone with mum's cooking. So dobbing your mum, what, what is your favourite thing that she cooks for you? Mum Oh, mum always cooks a mean spag bowl and everyone says their mum cooks the best, but my mum definitely cooks the best spag bowl. <laughs> <laughs> so your Collingwood career, two matches, uh, eight disposals um, for your career. 
It comes to the end of the season, and yeah. as much as everyone wants to stay on, unfortunately, the reality of football is they have. To, it's compulsory in the rules that some players have to be delisted yeah. to make space for others. Unfortunately yeah. for you, the call is made. Do you recall yeah. your exit meeting and some of the things they said that they want to see you work on if you're to come back to AFLW level? Yeah, so mine was an interesting case because I was a replacement player and came after or after Christmas. I wasn't actually in the first place allowed to stay on the list. Wayne and the coaches there tried to work with the AFL to, um, with special rules and stuff regarding the draft and stuff. But So coming into the team, I knew I wasn't going to be kept on the list in the first place, um, which was unfortunate, but, you know, that's the way the dice rolls and, um, my exit interview was very positive. You know, I had um, exceeded expectations for them and I was given a few things to work on um, throughout the year at Seaford where I ended up playing. And, you know, that's so what I did. I worked on my strengths and my, both my weaknesses and really tried to push myself um, to be able to get redrafted at the end of the year. For Seaford for the uh, 2017 VFLW season, we could say it was fairly unlucky. Injuries just ravaged the side, Um, particularly after a great 2016. Everyone, I think, was expecting a bit more out of Seaford, expecting some improvement. But as we said, once injuries devastate a side, it can only go one way. And unfortunately, you didn't get a win. How tough was it trying to get through that year, particularly, A, after playing a full full season of AFLW and doing all that training and then having to back up to play state league football? Um, personally, it was a real struggle. Um, I'd really struggled, um, like with enjoying my football. Um, but Seaford were really good and really supportive. And it was kind of, as a team as well, we just had to take each game as it came. And I think there was a lot of expectation, like you said, for Seaford to, um, perform as, cause they were very, you know, they had a very good year before. Um, but I guess with that as all, as, as Seaford improved, all the other teams improved as well, and they were quite top full with AFL players, unlike us. We only had a couple, and it was one of those things that we improved, everyone else just got better, and so it was one of those things we all had to work on. We had little goals to work on each week to be able to keep us sane and not turn on each other after not winning a game, and it was the little goals we were able to achieve which made us successful in our own eyes. Now, as we talked about at the top, obviously you went away to Cambodia over the summer break. How important has it been for you that, okay, you're not playing AFLW, but to be able to have this break from football to now come into 2018 VFLW afresh with the Southern Saints? Um, it was extremely important for me, I think, because for a lot of, a lot of, as a lot of, sorry, um, girls playing football, no, football for us at this stage is almost a yearly thing. You don't get much time off and when you do get the time off, you really need to take hold of it and make the most of it to be able to recuperate, make sure you're not um, going mentally crazy and footy-footy all the time. It's you really got to appreciate the time off that you did and especially like going on holidays like Cambodia really help me, you know, relax and refresh myself before coming back into the big season that at St Kilda we're hoping to have. And how do you feel to be the face of the Southern Saints, particularly in November when the video is out there of you being the first signing for the St Kilda Football yeah. Club? Um, oh, It's an absolute honour to be a part of St Kilda in the first place and to be able to be a part of their uh, their historical journey um, through VFL and then AFL, hope, um, who knows, in 2020. Um, it's an incredible club and they've um, really provided the VFL girls um, 
a whole lot of new opportunities with the coaches. The you know the caliber of coaches we've got is incredible. Um, access to the facilities almost whenever we want. Interaction with the men's they've just been so welcoming, and it's been oh, it's been an incredible experience to be a part of. Already, and the season hasn't even started. And finally, one last one before we let you go. Probably the toughest question. You mentioned earlier about playing with uh, Lily Mithin and Bella Air. You were playing through a youth girls era where there were so many great players at Vic Metro, at Queensland, at WA. In your opinion, yeah. who were some of the best footballers that you played against? Oh, that's a real tough question. Putting me on the spot now. Um, some of the best players that I'd played against. Uh, Courtney Hodder, I'm... Brian, remember she was from Queensland, one of the quickest, slickest players I'd ever come across and very tough as well for a small girl. Um, obviously, the likes of Lily Misson and Catherine Smith um, have been very successful and some of the most consistent, consistently successful players across those youth girl years. Um, the likes of Jazzy Grierson down at Melbourne as well. We got really close and to see her, um, she used to actually be quite a shy uh, player and individual herself when she started out at Rays and to see her develop and come across she's probably one of the toughest defenders I've come across as well when we played against her and watch her as well um, and Brip Anici as well at Collingwood she, when she was a youth girl she was an incredible player and you see how hard she goes in on game day now at Collingwood um, yeah so I'd probably say those girls are probably some of my best <laughs> And we thank Georgia again very much for her time. That interview recorded earlier in the year. And just repeating the news for those who have joined us late in the program, Georgia Walker, the captain of the Southern Saints VFLW side, has announced her retirement at just the age of 19 after this year suffering her ninth concussion in about six or seven years and upon speaking to her doctors, family and friends, deciding to pull the pin on her competitive footy career. Fingers crossed, though, that she's able to stay in footy, particularly through coaching and perhaps media work as well. It's time to wrap things up on the show for yet another week. Don't forget our VFL Women's Match of the Day will be this Sunday from 12 noon as we present the Casey Demons versus Geelong at Casey Fields in Cranbourne. And join us again for the midweek show Wednesday evening, 6 p.m. And you can download this program as a podcast by going to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts or SoundCloud and searching for Women's Australian Rules football radio a new episode goes up late on thursdays i'm peter holden until next time it's bye for now